we went around the room introducing ourselves quite often using the title first and say, you know, and me included among the way portfolio architect, blah, blah, blah. This Last, is the innovation God. Yes, you, you yeah, know. Respect and, him immediately. Last comes Carolyn. Even with incredible title, she says, hello, I'm Carolyn. I'm responsible for delivering world-class technology services to American Express. No title, but the word responsible. Bringing that responsibility into that conversation, right? So after that, anytime when I introduced myself to anybody, I did not try to use my title. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back for a doozy today. Today, I have for you Hamong Dawei, who is the CTO and client technical leader at Kendrel. Kendrel, in case you're not familiar with it, is an IT consulting and services company with 90,000 employees around the world, serving 75 of the Fortune 100. And before joining Kendrel, Hamong spent over 20 years at IBM and held leadership roles that included Chief Architect and Chief Innovation Officer. Hamong, welcome to Lead the Team. Great to be with you, Ben, but more importantly, great to be with our audience. Oh yeah, they're appreciating that. Now, did I did I nail your last name or did I mess it up? You did just fine. Right. And uh, yes. what's in a name, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into the man behind the name right now. No, y'all, we had a uh, Hamong and I had a dandy uh, pre conversation, which I always like to do, and so many good things to share with you today. So you said in our conversation um, that you live the American dream. What do you mean by that? I I migrated to this awesome country when I was a teenager. I was born in India, and right after high school, I got here. So my mom's brother um, had also migrated a few years prior and had uh, invited my mom to join. Mm -hmm. And as part of the journey, my sister and I came to the U.S. And uh, the reason I call myself an American dream, because I'm reminded of a great quote from President Ronald Reagan, and it so resonates with me. Um, and I'm, I'm sure many immigrants and many other Americans will resonate with this well. So let me read you this quote. Um, sure. So during one of his speeches, uh, he pulled this information and he said, uh, one person had written him a letter and what letter said was very profound. So I'm going to kind of uh, pretty much read through that. America represents something universal in human spirit. Mm. I received a letter not too long ago from a man who said, you can go to Japan to live, but you cannot become Japanese. You can go to France to live, mm. not become a Frenchman. Mm. You can go 
to live in Germany or Turkey, and you won't become a German or a Turk. But then he added, anybody from any corner of the world can come to America to live and become an American. Mm. Wow. And I absolutely love that mm. because I just live that thing, right? I embody that spirit. But more importantly, what I have experienced is in that journey, how many kind individuals who helped me out mm. to make me who I am today and get to the place where I'm today. Without them, I would not have achieved any one of those things. Wow. And so who's someone along that journey? That offer you that that offered you that that maybe that moment of inspiration that helped fuel your your career. So I'm going to use actually multiple people as part of that uh, um, example. But I, the the thing what I I want to demonstrate here is that leadership is not a title, and to a point, it's not even a role. It's not a position in any kind of organizational hierarchy. But it's just the behavior is what we go and um, experience. So that's what I'm going to go and kind of uh, give you three sure. different examples. Yeah. Rough with it. So first one was uh, my sister and I were trying to enroll ourselves at Austin Community College. And my uncle was great, you know, helping us out to you know say, hey, look, get education so you will land a better job rather than just, you know, working through uh, smaller jobs. So that was a great suggestion by him. So as we were trying to get into Austin Community College, for whatever reason, they were just like, well, you've not been in the U.S. for more than a year, so we'll have to charge you international fees for that. Obviously, we could not afford that, but we were already permanent residents of the U.S., and we were just saying, look, you know, here is the documentation. Why would you not let us enroll? And we had a heck of a time. One time, uh, by chance, we went to Round Rock campus of Austin Community College. And in the admissions office was this wonderful lady. Mm. And she looked at us and said, that's nonsense. Here you are. You want to get education. I'm here to help you with that. Mm -hmm. Mind you, this is the first time we are meeting her. There is, there is no connections from anything else. She welcomed us in the office and says, I'm going to enroll you. And she enrolled her us right on the spot using the computer wow. system. And she also called the main office and said, I have registered these two students and please don't make any changes because I've looked at their paperwork and everything and they are in-state students. Hmm. And to me, it touched me so much because she was willing to help without any expectations in return. Mm. And that moment, I made myself a commitment and said, Hemang, any time when somebody comes for help, requesting your help, never ask why. Ask, you know, just, just help them out without expectation. Wow. And oh, by the way, that lady, now I call her Mom Sue, because for her, my sister and I are her children. So she affectionately calls us her brown-eyed kids. We call her our blue-eyed mom. Wow, what a moment. What an and, inspired moment. And it sounds like it really made a huge impression on you. 
Up until that point, I mean, you'd been in the U.S. I suspect you probably didn't feel, I mean, did you, did you feel very included in the community since you were new? And was it just... A, I, I had a wonderful time? experience. I was yeah. always felt that I, you know, I was included, right? You know, and, and mind you this, you know, there are, when you are new, you also have a little bit of anxieties or, you know, weirdness in you, right? Because you're just like, am I going to fit in, right? Sure, and, yeah. And, and that's not about country when you go and start a new job or you go to a different school. Mm -hmm. We all think that way, right? You know, am I going to fit in, right? You know, and, and, and the thing is that pretty much I have nothing but wonderful stories about America. Mm. But But the key point here is that a leader will help any and everyone without any kind of expectations, right? And let me tell you one quick funny story as it relates to Mama Sue, um, is that uh, so a few years later, my mom and dad also migrated to the US and they were living with us. And one day, and so my parents didn't know about Mama Sue and uh, mom, Mama Sue calls us at our place and I wasn't home. So my dad answers and uh, Mama Sue says, he's among there. And my dad says, no. Can I take a message? And uh, so she inquires and says, who's this? And my dad says, I'm Hemang's father. And without missing a bit, she says, oh, nice to meet you. I'm Hemang's mom. <laughs> and my dad fell off a chair. <laughs> wow. That's and, great. Yeah, what and a then, you know, story. like later in the day when I returned home, he was like, do you have a mom I don't know about? Well, wow. so what? What's your advice for leaders? Oh, I guess there's a couple, a couple ways to that. One, I see that as a real key inflection point for you and, and your development. You that really motivated you to become the the leader you are today. And, and based on our conversation, this message about helping others is something that you've really become really become a core principle of, of how you lead. Absolutely. Um without any expectations, without asking any questions and saying, if somebody is coming to request for help, go and do that. But also, I, I have been blessed with really, really world-class mentors. And let me, let me explain what I really mean by some of that. Also, when we think about leadership, and I, as I stated earlier, our thought processes are like, you know, leader is a title or leader is a role or mm. leader is a mentor or things along that line. I don't ever think in those terms. To me, leadership is just a virtue. It's a behavior, right? You know, mm. And mm. one of the things I have observed when we move away from our titles and move away from our roles and when we truly show leadership, people see that, right? You know, So one of my uh, mentors when I was young at IBM, his name is John, and he has retired from IBM since. But John told me that among great leaders never dictate things. They inspire others to go do things. And he said, case in point, President John F. Kennedy. In early 1960s, he delivered a famous speech where he said, before this decade is out, we are going to put a man on the moon and bring him back safely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And, 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 and when you think about that, that message is so simple, right? You know, very profound in nature, but it did not involve a lot of jargons or a lot of technology terms and things like that. So 
leaders not only inspire, they set a vision, mm -hmm. but do it in a so simple way so that everybody can understand what that meant. It did not require degree in rocket science to figure out what that person just said, even though it was all about rocket science. Yeah, literally. Putting man on the moon. Yeah. An incredibly inspiring vision by JFK in that moment that went on beyond his death uh, and, and eventually came to fruition. So let's, I, I love this idea of leading without a title. I, I, I think this is something, this is a simple idea that can change the world um, because we do wait on the people with titles uh, to do things that have authority. So for you, I mean, you've got the title right now, but you also have the curse because you do speak IT really well and you've got to communicate that language across the entire organization. What advice do you have for leaders listening today for leading without a title? So, as I said, when, when, when you are so simple in your conversations, you, simple in your messaging, yet profound in your vision, people will rally around you and your vision. Hmm. And also look at many other things. I'm also influenced by designs of uh, Steve Jobs at Apple. And to a point, some of the designs of Elon Musk, right? You know, while iPhone and Mac products, and to that point, SpaceX technology and Tesla, they are very complicated from engineering point of view. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yet very simple in their use. Mm -hmm. I ask many times to people that, when was the last time when you opened up a user's documentation for Apple products? Very rarely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Point. So Never. When I was at IBM, when I, I'm at Kindle right now, so I tell my technology teams, I said, look, we need to create products and services and various other things which are incredibly great from technology perspective. But they should be very easy to consume. So um, many people laugh at this thing, but I use this example. Uh, when I talk to my engineering teams, I tell them that design me something. And actually, recently, we are working on a, a console for ML ops and various other things at Kindrel. And I tell our engineers and said, you know, create a product which even Heman can use. <laughs> so... If Heman can use without much of a difficulty, you've got a great chance that it would be a pretty usable product. Mm. You know? So th that's the message, right? That yes, you can have incredibly complex technological products and software and services, great. But don't relish into how complicated they are. Relish into things, how simple they are, how simple they are to use. Mm. Such good advice for people and a little bit of different twist on leading without the title. Even if you have the title, focus on simplicity, a strong vision, and then some great guiding principles for people to think about that. How has that played into your role in helping the state of Rhode Island? I know that you've been helping them and let's, let's face it. I mean, state operations, state government operations, very complex, often antiquated. It's, you know, just because they're just old infrastructures, right. And from the federal government, state government 
And thinking about innovation, uh, doesn't maybe I don't maybe I wouldn't say you would find the word innovation always mixed with state government operations and systems necessarily. Uh, but it's something that you're working on. What's what's the core to that? So before I answer that, let me also go a little deeper into yet another example or another thing which was influenced uh, my my development, right, um, uh, in okay. terms of leading without titles. Um, so another great mentor I had, uh, Carolyn, and uh, she and I served on our American Express client's account. And I was young in my career at that point in time. So when we are young, we we feel that, you know, when I throw my title at somebody, they will start respecting me instantaneously. <laughs> so we were in a meeting uh, with the client. Uh, so there were several people on the client side who were senior directors, technology people, some VPs on our side, very similar mixture, about 20 people in the room because we were trying to solve a fairly big problem. And at that point in time, Carolyn was pretty much the highest ranking person in the in the room, both from American Express clients' perspective as well as IBM's perspective. So as we went around the room introducing ourselves quite often using the title first and say, you know, and me included among the way, portfolio architect, blah, 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 blah right? You know, this is Last, the innovation god. Yes, you yeah, know. Yeah. Respect and, him immediately. Okay, got right. It. You know, and 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 when you're young, right, you you feel that you are almighty or all powerful, right? You're invincible, <laughs> and your title is yes, the thing yes. where people should bow down to you, right? You yes. know. So everybody goes through that. Last comes Carolyn. Even with incredible title, she says, "Hello, I'm Carolyn. I'm responsible." for delivering world-class technology services to American Express. No title, but the word responsible. Hmm. Bringing that responsibility into that conversation, right? We often see various places where people are trying to avoid responsibility. Here is Carolyn saying, you know, I'm responsible for delivering services. So after that, I, anytime when I introduced myself to anybody, I used, did not try to use my title, number one. And then over time, I've also learned in my email signature, I don't put my title either. Hmm. So uh, that, that's but, that. Like, why, why is that a problematic to include your title in the, in the email signature? So again, you know, as people think that, you know, Email is extension of yourself, right? You know, and yeah. emails do get forwarded from person to person to person. So, a fifth or sixth person in that chain, when it gets forwarded, they'll see your title and somebody's like, oh, Hemang is blah, blah, right? You know, and you will feel that, oh, you know, then they will respond back to me with respect or whatever, right? Oh, okay, okay. But I rather right. focus on my message in that email or in my conversation. Okay. And if my conversation did not earn your respect then i have a homework to do this is an interesting idea and, and that that was an edgier idea that i didn't sort of think about because corporate email i mean come on man everybody's got their title in there but yeah i can see it changing the response it reminds me of an interview on the show I did with the CEO of Duncan Brands, Nigel Travis, and he's talking about 
he's has this idea of challenge culture and has a book about it. And he was explaining to me his, one of his passions is coaching youth soccer and mm-hmm. how he never has the players even call him coach. They just, they call him Nigel because he says, Ben, anytime you put a title on something, you put up a barrier. Yes. And by the way, I've tried that with the teams I've coached and most of them have a hard time not calling me coach, coach Ben, but I, but I think, I think you and Nigel, uh, have, have a, are like-minded in that. He didn't necessarily have the email, uh, idea there, but it does create a different conversation. And I think we all as leaders need to be thinking about how we relate to our customers, how we relate to our own teams and your, the, the person you work with, was it Janet? Was that her name? Carolyn, Carolyn, Carol, who she introduced herself in a way that mattered to the customer. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it wasn't the title that's who's responsible for delivering the kind of service that we really expect here, and that's how she did it. That's pretty cool. Yes, and 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 again, some something very small yet very profound, right? You know, so not using titles, not using the the technology du jour and technology du jour buzzwords rather said, I'm responsible for delivering world-class services to you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, That's so good. And so you wanted to talk about the Rhode Island experience? Well, now it's even more interesting to ask that question because, you know, in, in government, titles are key. Mm-hmm. Uh, they... It's their pay grade. It's how the organization structure. I mean, it's a, it's 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 a big deal of that. So here here comes you know Hamong and his innovation stuff. How are you interacting with state agencies in a way uh, to help lead them? So let me give you a little bit of a precursor to that journey. I was engaged with one of our clients, uh, Citizens Bank. And uh, I spoke to one of their senior VPs. Um, and just on the first meeting, he and I become best friends. Uh, his name is Jeff. And Jeff truly believes in <clears throat> helping the youth. Hmm, okay. And as part of Citizens Bank's culture, they, they invest very heavily into the community. And one of the problems um, state of Rhode Island faced was that they will have caliber students, yet you know they will graduate, and quite often they'll move to New York City or Boston, and either not go to URI, University of Rhode Island, and just go to either you know those schools you know because both New York City and Boston has Ivy League colleges, so there is a fascination for that. But more importantly, what was happening is that you know state of Rhode Island is investing into all this you know primary schools, middle schools, high schools, creating good, talented students. But then time comes for them to be employed in Rhode Island. They are somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. So Citizens Bank and various other companies were having a hard time finding the right talent, which was you know, nearby because they were losing out to New York City, yeah. Chicago, Boston, and various other places. So that's why they were working with, uh, at that point in time, Governor Raimondo's um, office, and Jeff asked me, and he said, Amon, you have a lot of good ideas. I'd love for you 
to be a keynote speaker at um, this event, which we call it CS4RI, Computer Science for Rhode Island. And every year, mid-December, we bring in roughly 3,000 students across the state of Rhode Island, the high schoolers, bring them to Rhode, uh, University of Rhode Island. Various technology companies come in and we ask one of the companies person to be a keynote speaker. So that's mm -hmm. how I got involved, you know, advising the legislature at uh, state of Rhode Island, but also various school districts um, in um, Rhode Island as well. And many times they'll just say, Heman, can you come and talk to students, right? And I said, absolutely would love to do that, right? And uh, after a few times, one person asked me that question. Um, her name is Catherine, and she says, Heman, you never ask us why you are making this request, right? You know, you just willingly come over. We know you're busy, but why is that? And I always tell Mama Sue's story. <laughs> ah, okay. That, you know, if somebody took time to invest into me, I would be remiss if I don't do the same thing. And I love working with our young generation. I don't call them kids. I call them my young peers. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com insight. What do you say to executives who, who like, man, that, that's great for Hamong to do that. I would like to do that, but I do not have the time to do that. I'm an executive. I've got big responsibilities and going time and time again to do this. Uh, just don't have the time. So let me go back to one um, moment I learned my lessons with my mentor, John. Uh, so one time, because he, he's an avid reader, and as part of him mentoring, he would assign me um, reading books. And this was early my, in IBM career. At that point in time, he was VP of uh, WebSphere Development Worldwide. So he had a pretty big responsibility. So he says, Hmong, for our next conversation, I want you to read this book and let's see what you learn from that book. Month and a half later, we go back onto the call and he says, so what did you think about the book? And I said, John, I'm sorry, I got too busy and I didn't have a chance to read the book. And there was a pause on the call. Hmm. And he says, we're all busy. Do you think my job is easy? And I'm like, no, sir. So he said, if something is important to you, you will make time. There was a, another moment of learning. So if somebody says, I'm too busy, my answer is, if something is too important to you, you will make time. So if you're telling me that you're busy, that means it was not important to you. Mic drop. <laughs> right and and yeah. and again you know i mean so after that i'm too busy did not make part of my vocabulary anymore because every time that voice from back of my head says if it was important you would have made time so don't use that as an excuse so the real work there beyond accepting that I once you accept that idea is prioritizing 
and making the time as a leader to do that. I, I think a lot of people think, well, prioritizing, you know, I can do that. Just scan my list to make a priority. I suspect for you to make this time for your for the state of Rhode Island and other things that you're that you're involved in, you probably spend a lot of time discerning your priorities so you can make those decisions. I mean, do you is there a certain formal process you use to think about priorities and and, and uh getting through that? So in general, what I believe is that my influence and my existence is beyond my own self, right? You know, so don't don't think of this thing as when when especially when I'm thinking about priority, Hemang does not factor into that decision making. Because when we start thinking that, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that, it brings in a very myopic viewpoint. So what I love to do is that, you know, if I need to do that for students or if I need to do that for client or if I need to do with whatever, I'm thinking from their perspective, what do they have to gain, not what Hemang has to worry about, right? You know, and then once I figure that part out, you know, and if I'm looking at multiple competing priorities, that's how I figure out that, you know, which one, which group of things or people or events will benefit the most and then, you know, get them to a higher level versus something at a lower level, right? You know, and again, that brings in that mindset of uh, servant leadership, right? You know, because you are not looking at it from your own egoistic perspective, right? Not for yourself, but you are looking for somebody else's point of view and then see how that is helping. Now, hmm. I'll tell you another story as, as we were talking about students at Rhode Island. So keynote speech went well, and then I had several other conversations where I visited a few schools, and then another request came in from governor's office and said, you know, can you do something even better than what you have done, right? Better than keynote speech and better than meeting students and things. And I'm like, wow, I love that. When somebody challenges me and said, you know, you did that wonderful thing, that's great, but can you do something even better than that? And I'm like, yeah, challenge accepted. So I sat down, talked to a few of my close colleagues and friends, and I said, you know, what do I do to outdo myself of yesterday? And then as I was thinking through, came to me was that, guess what? IBM's Yorktown IBM Watson Research Center was only a three-hour bus ride from Providence, Rhode Island. So what I did was, I said, you know, I want to outdo myself, but here is the condition. Let's bring in 50 students across various backgrounds, right? You know, socioeconomic, racial, whatever you want to define. Personally, I don't look at those things, but, you know, if that's what you want to do from state government, state position, if that feels good for you, mm -hmm. do that. But I want to have a diversity into the mix, right? You know, so I would love to bring students to IBM Watson Research Center on IBM's dime, and we would host them for an entire day. So I'm also blessed with so many awesome colleagues, right? And um, one of those colleagues has become great friends. Um, is, is, he could be old enough to be my father. His name is Dr. Jim Wynn. And he is a, a brilliant, brilliant mind, yet very soft-spoken, very simple in his message. 
And not many people know that, but Dr. Jim Wynn is the inventor of Excimer laser. Hmm. And then you would say, okay, big deal. What is Excimer laser? Well, Excimer laser is the one which is used to perform LASIK surgeries. Ah. Because of his invention, 80, 90 million people across the globe have better vision because of LASIK surgery. So I went to Dr. Jim Wynn and I say, I have a request. I'm bringing 50 students from Rhode Island. Would you come and talk to them during lunchtime and tell your story? And Jim, in, Jim is in his mid-70s, and these students were anywhere between 14 to 18 years old. Yep. And he became an instant mm. rock star with them. <laughs> Even that speech was only one hour, students would not leave him for next two hours with questions. Hmm. So, but the thing what Jim, you know, right? And, and when I said, I want to do this thing, Jim didn't even ask me why you are doing this. He said, tell me the date and time. I'll be there. Yeah, really showing the impact of leading in this way. Because you're leading in this way, you're, you're, you accepted the challenge of the governor and expanded it and now you're bringing in jim you're bringing other people uh and they're going to be a part of it yes and, and like and, you and say the they don't is, report to you jim didn't report to you right nope um and he he got on board so you led him uh without the authority in that moment right you know because you you when you bring in that simplicity of your conversation why you want to do that and at towards the yeah. end of that uh, uh, event, almost like nine hours, you know, at IBM Watson Research Center, and um, um, we were really, you know, so like the students were, I mean, all struck because we talked to them about artificial intelligence. We talked to them about quantum computing. Uh, we showed them the prototype of quantum computing, right? You know, mm -hmm. and um, uh they were just just wow. blown away, and many of the because there were some um, uh, teachers and other people, administrative staff was accompanying them as well, and they said, hey, "Man, these are life changing events," you know. Yeah. And I had a smile on my face because I was like, "Wow, you know, if I can change even one life out of this thing, just the same way Mama Sue did. I, I know Mama Sue did a lot of changings of lives." But in my mind, I'm thinking, if I can just do one life change, right, that's that's worth living that life. And uh, But then I had a little cheesy answer, and I said, quite frankly, I do this thing for my own selfish things. And the person inquired, why? what, what was the selfish motive? And I said, look, my retirement is in my 401k, and I want these young colleagues <laughs> to continue innovation and U.S. economy to be number one in the world there so that go. I can retire comfortably. <laughs> yeah, keep that, keep things moving up into the right for the world here, especially in the U.S. Yeah, no, that's that's great where your investments are. You know, so, so good, a great story. And it really brings us full circle here. And, and before we wrap up here, I've, I've got a question, uh, one of the things that came out of it. And I want to talk, I want, I'd love to hear from you about being the third eye. Yes. What's that about? So just about 10 years ago, as part of my innovation work, 
And by the way, you know, I talked about IBM, but I'm also like, you know, with Kindrel, we're doing a lot of innovative things, right? You know, so while we are no longer a quote unquote product company, but we're bringing lots of innovative things to the market, you know, but this is this, this, I'm going to give you two examples, one dating back 10 years ago. And um, when I was meeting with a CIO of a big company in Houston, they specialize in creating um, oil refineries and big buildings and big bridges and things like that. And their CIO, one time he and I were having dinner and he said, and by the way, he was from Singapore and he had uh, migrated to the US. And uh, during that dinner conversation, my question to him was, how do I bring you value, right? You know, because that that my motive. How how can I make you more successful? And he answered and said, "Hemang, be my third eye." And people who are listening right now, and specifically if you are, if you are aware of the Eastern philosophies, when somebody says, you know, third eye, what it really means is that perceptions and visions which transcends humanity or one's self, right? You know, so almost like a godlike vision. But he really didn't mean in that sense. What he meant was that becoming a third eye is that, you know, help me see things which I don't see from my own two eyes. In other words, help me remove my blind spots. Because when we are doing a lot of things, right, we go incredibly deep into products or solutions or projects, and then we lose sight of things because we become very tunnel vision, right? And uh, it's, it's very common to do that, a very natural thing to do that because we're just so engrossed into that kind of things. And um, that resonated with me, right? And then I had helped him over the years with some of that things and, you know, and then just as recently as part of being Kindrel, uh, two months ago, I had a, a really great conversation with another leader. She's a chief product officer for her company, uh, where she's in charge of developing various software platforms and various other things. And by the way, um, Ben, this also shows us what leaders are truly about. Mm-hmm. And during my first meeting with this chief product officer, she says, Mag, and again, you know, my my same philosophy, like, how do I bring value? You know, how can I help you? And she says, as you would imagine, a lot of people want to come and talk to me just like you. And I said, of course. So she says, if you want to bring value, show me things which I'm not doing right. If you come in and just nod at everything I do, you have no value for me, right? You know, you, you don't bring anything to the table. And uh, we, we, you know, so I said, of course, challenge accepted. And she said, you know, it's okay to come and criticize me if I'm not doing something right. Point out to me and say what I'm not doing right and help me correct that. By the way, that's a great behavior of a leader who is not afraid of receiving criticism. Yeah, You know, she actually welcomed that thing. And I was like, yes, these are the people I would love to work with day in and day out who are not worried about like, oh, what happens if somebody comes and says, oh, you're not doing this thing right. Fine. It helps me improve. Right. You know, and as she and I were talking, I kind of asked her, you know, so as she was describing her vision for 2023 and beyond, and um, she was telling me how she's putting certain things as part of her 
product design principles. And I asked her, I said, why are you not using sustainability as one of your design points? And I could see it on the Microsoft Teams with video on, like, aha, Hemang, you just brought me value, which I was looking Great. for. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can just say one sentence and it just changes everything. And, and I love and, how, you know, how you mentioned it on both sides. A leaders that, is, that are growth-minded, not all always are, but if you want to be and aspire to be a growth-minded leader, getting feedback, getting criticism, and accepting it and be and making it known because a lot of people will not bring it. Your team, your suppliers, a lot of times your customers will still bring it, but your suppliers and your employees won't bring it to you if you don't ask for it. And yeah. uh, I admire that. And then you, of course, stepped up and you stepped into that role and you're providing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that, that's how we help each other out, right? And I, I said very similar things as well that, uh, look, the reason I'm requesting a feedback for multiple reasons, because first of all, it's opportunity for me to learn. Maybe we, we may agree or disagree on that feedback. That's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're going to just say, and I, and I wouldn't say sometimes, I would always say that regardless of the feedback I have received, I, I'm always going to be grateful that you took time to give me that feedback. Yeah. Now, after that, we will debate if that feedback was right or wrong, right? You know, and that's that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the fact is that somebody is gracious enough to take their time to give you that feedback. It truly is a gift. Yeah, having some gratitude about that. I think if leaders stepped into the idea of not all feedback is helpful feedback, but you have to get a lot to know as much as you can possibly get to be able to get the sample size, to get the stuff, to find the super helpful things within it. And so inviting it is so huge. Now, among got a lot more questions, but we're out of time here. Um, what is your parting? We'll have to have you on well, uh, again, but what's your parting thought for our listeners today? Um, again, as I was stating earlier, by the way, before I finish out my last thought, I want to thank everybody who's listening to this podcast, obviously great podcast, uh, but thank you for investing your time out of your busy schedule to listen to us. Yes. Uh, that means a lot to us. Uh, second thing is that, uh, as I was telling you earlier, a leader should never think team as their direct reports. Mm. Uh, yeah. Think of team as any and everybody, right? You know. So as I was stating earlier, that I see influence of myself, not just as in my own physical persona, but a lot bigger than that. So if we are going to be leaders, we need to think beyond ourselves and don't think that, you know, 10 or 12 people reporting to me or maybe 100 people in my organization or whatever, right? Or people in IT industry. I love to interact with any and everybody because that's what helps us become better humans, but yes. then helps us you know, change somebody else's lives and uh, it's worth doing. I like that. Great parting thought for the listeners. And what resonates with me on that is when you think about your team broader than than your just just your direct reports, it's not just who you're talking to; it's who you're expressing gratitude towards, who you're inviting to your meetings, who are you willing to include in all kinds of different conversations. Not just ones for coordinating action, but also innovation and de healthy debate, and uh, just bringing that more expansive mindset to your team can be a huge 
huge, huge game changer. Haman, thank you for coming on Lead the Team today, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you for reaching out to me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.